Chapter Fifty of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swiss Helm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. A missive and a mission. Soon after the people had returned to such homes as were left them, I received a letter from General Lowry, who was then in an insane asylum in Cincinnati. I caught his humor and answered as carefully as if he had been a sick brother, gave an extract in the Democrat, accompanied by a notice, and sent him a copy, after which he wrote frequently, and I tried earnestly to soothe him. In one of his letters was this passage. Your quarrel and mine was all wrong. There was no one in that upper country capable of understanding you but me, no one capable of understanding me but you. We should have been friends and would have been if we had not each had a self which we were all too anxious to defend. After the Sioux had finished their work of horror, Minnesota men, aided by volunteers from Iowa and Wisconsin, pursued and captured the murderers of one thousand men, women, and children, tried them, found them guilty, and proposed to hang them just as if they had been white murderers but when the general government interfered and took the prisoners out of the hands of the state authorities and when it became evident that eastern people endorsed the massacre and condemned the victims as sinners who deserved their fate one of the state officers proposed that i should go east try to counteract the vicious public sentiment and aid our congressional delegation in their effort to induce the administration either to hang the sioux murderers or hold them as hostages during the war to me this was a providential call for i had been planning to make a home in the east that our daughter then old enough to live without me might spend a portion of her time with her father with letters from all our state officers i left my minnesota home at four o'clock a m january second sixty three leaving the democrat in charge of my first apprentice william b mitchell in washington the minnesota delegation secured the use of dr sutherland's church and a packed audience for my lecture on indians it was enthusiastically applauded and for some time i did hope for some security for women and children on the frontier but the secretary of the interior assured me it was not worth while to see the president for mr lincoln will hang nobody and our minnesota delegation agreed with him indeed there was such a furor of pious pity for the poor injured sioux such admiration for their long-suffering patience under wrong and final heroic resistance that i might about as well have tried to row myself from the head of goat island up the rapids of niagara as stem that current the ring which makes money by coddling indians had the ear of both president and people and the bureau had a paying contract improving little crow's sagacity the sioux never were so well supplied with blankets and butcher knives as when they received their reward for that massacre never had so many prayers said and hymns sung over them and their steamboat ride down the minnesota and mississippi and up the missouri to a point within two days walk of the scene of their exploits furnished them an excursion of about two thousand miles and left them well prepared for future operations they appreciated their good fortune have been a terror to the united states troops and western settlers ever since and have enjoyed their triumph to the full 
one morning senator wilkinson and i went to see the president and in the vestibule of the white house met two gentlemen whom he introduced as secretary stanton and general fremont the first said he needed no introduction and i said i had asked senator wilkinson to see him on my account he replied do not ask any one to see me if you want anything from me come yourself no one can have more influence general fremont inquired where i was staying and said he would call on me this frightened me and i felt like running away but they were so kind and cordial that our short chat is a pleasant memory but mr wilkinson and i failed to see mr lincoln next day secretary stanton gave me an appointment in the quartermaster general's office but there was no place for me to go to work general fremont called at the houses of two friends where i was visiting but both times i was absent in eighteen fifty i had also missed the calls of his wife and sister so i seemed destined never to meet the people i admired above all others my friends wished me to attend a presidential reception but it was useless to see mr lincoln on the business which brought me to washington and i did not care to see him on any other he had proved an obstructionist instead of an abolitionist and i felt no respect for him while his wife was everywhere spoken of as a southern woman with southern sympathies a conspirator against the union i wanted nothing to do with the occupants of the white house but was told i could go see the spectacle without being presented so i went in my broadcloth travelling dress and lest there should be trouble about my early leave-taking would not trust my cloak to the servants but walked through the hall with it over my arm i watched the president and mrs lincoln receive his sad earnest honest face was irresistible in its plea for confidence and mrs lincoln's manner was so simple and motherly so unlike that of all southern women i had seen that i doubted the tales i had heard her head was not that of a conspirator she would be incapable of a successful deceit and whatever her purposes were they must be known to all who knew her mr lincoln stood going through one of those dreadful ordeals of handshaking working like a man pumping for life in a sinking vessel and i was filled with indignation for the selfish people who made this useless drain on his nervous force i wanted to stand between him and them and say stand back and let him live and do his work but i could not resist going to him with the rest of the crowd and when he took my hand i said may the lord have mercy on you poor man for the people have none he laughed heartily and the men around him joined in his merriment when i came to mrs lincoln she did not catch the name at first and asked to hear it again then repeated it and a sudden glow of pleasure lit her face as she held out her hand and said how very glad she was to see me i objected to giving her my hand because my black glove would soil her white one but she said then i shall preserve the glove to remember a great pleasure for i have long wished to see you my escort was more surprised than i by her unusual cordiality and said afterwards it was no polite affectation i cannot understand it from her i understood at once that i had met one with whom i was in sympathy no politeness could have summoned that sudden flash of pleasure her manner was too simple and natural to have any art in it and why should she have pretended a friendship she did not feel abolitionists were at a discount 
they had gone like the front ranks of the french cavalry at waterloo into the sunken way to make a bridge over which moderate men were rushing to honours and emoluments gideon's army had done its work and given place to the camp followers who gathered up the spoils of victory none were so poor that they need do them reverence and i recognized mrs lincoln as a loyal liberty-loving woman more staunch even than her husband in opposition to the rebellion and its cause and as my very dear friend for life End of chapter fifty